Hello, Gray for Monday listeners. It's Black History Month, Monday is President's Day, and the news of the world feels like every minute is textbook history in the making. This made us wonder, what's it like to be a history teacher right now? For an answer, I turned to our colleague, Cosby Hunt, who has been teaching the subject to students and teachers for 30 years. I had the delightful opportunity to visit his classroom last week and participate in discussions with his U.S. history students about criminal justice reform. Here is our conversation during a lunch break between classes. Uh, my name is Cosby Hunt. We are on the third floor of a Roosevelt High School, Theodore Roosevelt Senior High School, and I'm getting ready to teach another section of my U.S. history class. Yes, and I'm really excited to be able to be here with you. You're three weeks into the second semester, so this is your um, three weeks with a new set of students here. That's right. And I'm wondering, my big question, just spending a few moments with your with your class here, is what is it like to teach history right now in the, in the world that we're living in right now? Well, I think the good news is that maybe... Even in the era of TikTok, students are able to see how what has happened in the past affects their lives now, maybe in a way that previous generations didn't. And I will say that one of the good things about teaching a course that is primarily from the Gilded Age to the present, that's kind of the curricular task or focus of the class, is that... Um, yeah, we keep running into wars, and that's a bummer, but we do get to teach about um, the women's rights movement of the 60s and the suffragists in, uh, you know, during and after World War I, and we get the civil rights movement. So there are certainly things that we get to teach about that give hope and present real heroes and give kids um, a blueprint to uh, change the world. Here are folks who help change the world. I mean, on the one hand, we get to talk about industrialists like J.P. Morgan, but on the other hand, we get to talk about, you know, the Bayard Rustins and the Ida B. Wells of the world as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, the, and the Cesar Chavez and the Dolores Huertas. So there's, there's war a lot, but there's also movements and hope. And what are some ways that you've seen students um, pick up on that? Well, every, every student gets to do a personal project where they pick a topic and they explore it all semester and then they make a presentation about it at the end. So, um, this year, all of their personal projects have to be connected to the theme of turning points in history. So uh, a turning point is an idea, an event, or an action that causes significant change. Now, students are still choosing their topics right now, but last semester, uh, I had two different students do um, projects about the Chicano movement um, and the East LA school walkouts that happened in the late 60s um, because we had watched a movie about it. 
and this semester somebody's doing Jackie Robinson. So you have kind of a set curriculum that you have to follow with your students here, but you also are teaching the real world history course. What was the genesis of the idea behind creating that course? I read a book on a bus that talked about a high school course in Northern Virginia. It was an applied history course. And as part of the course, the students got internships at historic sites and museums in the second semester of the course. And I just, it blew my mind, like what a cool idea. And then, then I got kind of annoyed because I was like, why are these kids from Northern Virginia taking these internships that my DC students should have? Like we're closer to the museums than they are. And so it took me a while to get there, but uh, eventually I created a course for DC students. And certainly the internships are a part of what they do in there, but you, you also have chosen a focus for that course, very specifically that the students learn a lot about the Great Migration. How did you choose, how did you decide to pair that with the internship component? Timing, timing is everything. My oldest son's godfather lent me a copy of The Warmth of Other Sons. It's such an amazing book. And by the end of the book, I was like, oh, this has got to be the course text for this course that I'm trying to create. This is the book that we're going to read. Mm -hmm. And this is, and the Great Migration clearly needs to be the topic because these people are still alive. We're losing them rapidly. But we can do an oral history with people who are, were part of the Great Migration, read this book. But it was just the luck of being, having a book recommended to me by somebody I care about and then loving the book and seeing, oh yeah, this is something that high school students can read. What do you see happen with students when they have that moment of like, oh, I'm learning about history, not from a book, but from a person who lived it? Uh, well, one thing that they, they say in our surveys over and over again is that they enjoy learning about DC history in a way that they don't otherwise get to learn it. Um, so it's not a DC history course, but just because they are interviewing Folks who left the South and moved to D.C. sometime in the 50s and 60s, they are learning about D.C. history. And they're doing it in a different way in the sense that they get to sit down and spend significant time with this person doing this interview. And so they, they appreciate learning about their local history in a way that they don't usually get to. That's one thing. Um, and I think they appreciate that they are, they are the doers of history here that we try to emphasize that history is something that, that people do, it's not just something that people study, and they are doing the history, they are writing the questions, they are doing the interview, they are writing the transcript, So and their, and their work, their scholarship becomes part of, of course, a large collection of oral histories that goes in the DC Public Library. I wonder if you have discussions with the students then about the relationship between doing and making and learning. They're doing the, doing the act of gathering and codifying and preserving history, but then how do they see themselves as, as actors in, in the history that's unfolding? Sometimes their narrators, their interviewees, will give them a piece of advice as our, our older friends like to do when they're in the presence of young people. Let me tell you young people something about that. And sometimes that will be useful advice for young people that they're getting in the midst of this interview. There, there have definitely been moments where 
they were at the end of the interview and there's some time for, as the person's looking back on their life, there's time for them to bestow some wisdom on the young people in the interview. And so I think that's part of an answer to your question. Well, and in a lot of ways, I guess that's a little bit what one hopes that the learning of history is, right? It's all the, the voices and experiences of the past, perhaps bestowing some wisdom or at least some <laughs> some learned failures and experiences on us in the present. I make it very clear to them that if your person came to DC before August of 1963, you have to ask them if they took part in the March on Washington. Similarly, if they came before April of 1968, you have to ask them about where they were, what they were doing when the riots happened. And this one student who remarked on how his narrator chose not to be part of the march. And that we think, with our rose-colored glasses, that every black person for miles around was part of that march. It's like, oh no, that, you know, that, that wasn't everybody's shtick. Not everybody wanted to be part of that, or maybe they thought they were gonna get in trouble, or, or maybe they had to work, you know, whatever it was. And so I think it was a good reminder to the student that like, History is more complicated than just like everybody was at the march, you know? And there were black people who were affected by the march who chose to sit out, including my own father, who pulled up his convertible and by the side of the road and just watched people walk by. So that's not, that's not wisdom, but it is a, a better understanding of the complexities of, of history and, and these events that we read about in the textbook and we hear about on TV and here's somebody who was around, but didn't actually march with a sign. How long have you been teaching history? Since 1993. Woo! <laughs> and oh my God, Jenna, this is year 30. This is year 30. That is a, that's a, that's a long stretch. Um, what do you still love about it? <laughs> oh, well, um, I got into it because I think that Teaching is a way to help young people develop confidence. And that still happens, especially in real world history. Obviously, young people are entertaining. and So it's usually about the, the young people. If you were making a pitch to a class of students to take real world history, what's your number one reason that you encourage them to participate? Uh, let's say that there's a tie for number one between mm -hmm. making new friends from different parts of the city mm -hmm. and being part of a learning experience that will make them want to be lifelong learners. Links to programs mentioned in this podcast can all be found on our website and in our show notes. Youth programs. When I was visiting Cosby's class, it was to observe his students engaging in a youth-led discussion about the film The First Step. It's incredible to see what students can bring to these conversations. And if you're curious, you can see what they look like in action too. We have an online Speak True session coming up on February 26th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And teachers are welcome to observe and high school students from across the country are invited to participate. Want to see the program in person? Our next in-person session is on March 14th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at MLK Library. 
This is a PD day for DC public schools. So for students, this is a great way to learn and earn community service while they're off. In our interview, Cosby also talked about our real world history course, and the application is now open for our fall program. If you know a high school student in DC who would benefit from a highly engaging learning experience that will boost their knowledge of the city they live in and build their skills as historians, let them know it's time to apply. Professional learning. We have another opportunity for you to learn about our Speak Truth program and how to bring it into your classroom in our online March PD sessions. Join us to learn strategies for building meaningful, student-led conversations that deepen understanding, build speaking and listening skills, and truly engage your learners in talking and deliberating with one another. Sessions take place on March 13th and 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you're a teacher in Washington, D.C., we hope you'll consider becoming a Teaching with Improvisation Fellow with us this summer. We will have an in-person information session about this incredible year-long program on February 28th and on March 18th at 5 p.m. at local D.C. libraries. You can get more information on our website. We'll give you a taste of what the Summer Institute and year-long support look like and offer space for your questions. We hope to see you there. Hooray for Monday is an award-winning weekly publication of Center for Inspired Teaching, an independent nonprofit organization that invests in and supports teachers. Inspired Teaching provides transformative, improvisation-based professional learning for teachers that is 100% engaging intellectually, emotionally, and physically. Our mission is to create radical change in the school experience, away from compliance and toward authentic engagement. Thanks for listening. We hope you have an excellent week.